Good evening, everyone. Let's get this show on the road. Of course, it didn't work. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, Jen. Good evening, Noah. How you doing? All right. How's it going? It's Wednesday night, and oh boy, are we all crossed out this week. Oh, my God. <laughs> when, you think, when you think it can't get worse, it it's does. Every week with this. We did, I mean, we certainly picked, we certainly picked a year to start a podcast, you know, like when I was doing my own podcast in years, uh, years past, uh, I, uh, I was doing it about like, you know, geeky stuff and whatever. And, uh, some, some weeks I didn't really have a lot of content, you know, cause who knows what comes out or any show and whatever. Uh, but, uh, whoa, is, has it been, has this been year, uh, this year been uh, content rich for what we chose to discuss on both our original pod and now this sister pod of that. Truly. And so do we want to just go ahead and get into this or did you have a preamble for this? Oh my God. I don't know. Like, so you see, like we, we, we kind of like, we tried to like, uh, to, to, to define the parameters of this is discussing the thing without discussing the thing, because I don't know if, if the world needs yet another discussion about like a- actual abortion, I think there's a lot of things on the periphery to discuss. I mean, you're, we're going to get into it in a second because I'm going to throw it to you because I don't know what I'm doing <laughs> when it comes to this. I don't know what I want to talk about. I think my opinions on it are opinions that nobody likes or and, and don't really matter at the end of the day. Uh, and, but if like are probably in line with like, uh, the sort of the average American's opinion on it. Um, but, uh, I think there's, like I said, because we, we talk about reactions to things, how the internet reacts to things and how things play out on the internet. I think there's plenty to talk about without having to get into like, when do you think life starts? <laughs> yeah, and I'll go ahead and do kind of the heavy nerdy lifting here as far as explaining the backstory of what exactly just happened over the past. Although I guess the story actually dropped on Sunday, technically, although. Yeah, Sunday night, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it was Sunday night. So somebody who works somewhere in the Supreme Court leaked to Politico a draft of a majority decision that Justice Samuel Alito wrote in February. Basically, actually, let me back up and even go back further than that. Okay, this is actually related to a case. It's Dobbs versus Jackson's Women's Health. We'll just call it Dobbs versus Jackson or Dobbs for short because I can't say all those words all that many times. So what this case is actually about is for everybody who can remember back 
to the days of like, I believe this case was actually technically from like 2018. Um, but if you all remember when it was like the current vogue for red states to try to pass like super draconian abortion laws, basically trying to wind down the the time in which a woman could have an abortion from. There was, a, there was an Alabama one, I think, in early uh, 2019, mm-hmm. like a hot, like another kind of like what is going on in Texas right now with the heartbeat law. Yes. Uh, yeah, you're right. There was a kind of a wave of those. Yeah, and there was one in Georgia, too, and that one I covered on my old podcast. But this one in particular, this case, centers around the Mississippi law. And basically, this is challenging the Mississippi law, which actually pegged the standard at 16 weeks. And so what this case is actually about is it's technically not going after Roe v. Wade. It's technically going after Planned Parenthood v. Casey which quick and dirty history of abortion law in the United States in 1972, if I can remember, no, 1973, Roe v. Wade passed and that gave women the right to have an abortion based off of the 14th Amendment and the right to privacy. We don't really need to get into all of it, but there we go. So in 1992, um, Planned Parenthood v. Casey passed and that's what set the cap at 24 weeks. So basically what Dobbs is challenging is not necessarily Roe v. Wade, but Planned Parenthood v. Casey by trying to drop the standard from 24 weeks down to 16 weeks. Yeah. By the way, do you know uh, that, uh, you know, that the uh, I believe the decision in Casey was written by one Samuel Alito. Yes. Which uh, is theorized to have been the reason because I believe that the that the person who should have written this majority opinion was Thomas being the yeah. senior or whatever. Yes. Uh, and so there are a couple of questions as to like why it was Alito who wrote it. Uh, and yes. by the way, before you continue, I just want to reiterate one thing that you said, that this is a draft from February. Like still all of – because all of the discourse that we're going to discuss now is over something that is not – that hasn't happened yet. There is no decision yet. And we don't – and people say, yes, but also the vote was leaked. And says who? Like the decision – people can read the decision and say this decision is definitely legit. It's 60-plus pages long. It reads like something Alito would write. You know what I mean? Like it's not something that you could just fake. But the information that there was – that the, the vote was like 5, you know, 5, 3, 1 or whatever with, with, uh, with uh, Roberts doing uh, – uh, uh, you know, like his own thing that who, how can you verify that that part is authentic? Like that could be, that could be a total, like, you know, that could be total bullshit. You don't know. Um, I'm just saying, like, I think it's important to remember that uh, there is no way of knowing that part of this. And so, and, and there is no way of knowing like what kind of permutations it has had since then, or will have between now and whenever they were going to discuss it. Which I think is the summer. I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah, the the case, the decision was originally slated to come out probably late June, early July. But the reason I brought up the Dobbs case and Planned Parenthood v. Casey is in the Alito majority opinion, it specifically talks about 
rescinding Roe versus Wade, which that's why I wanted to point that out, because the case technically isn't about Roe v. Wade, but this is going to be the vehicle for getting rid of Roe v. Wade. So somebody leaked it to Politico and then it's become public and now it's become this whole discussion. And there's been plenty of legal analysis as to Alito's writings and his basis for writing this and how it is somewhat sketchy and it's kind of is not all that legally sound. But the point is, is that this is supposed to be the majority opinion, which would reflect obviously how the Supreme Court is going to rule on this case once it drops its final decision, whenever that is, like midsummerish. Anywho, so now That's we have a, this whole. It's an interesting way of calling it, midsummerish. I just think somebody burning. I'm just thinking of some burning alive in a thatch house <laughs> in Sweden or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's Florin, and Flor, Florence Pugh laughing about it. <laughs> but yeah, so and also for those people who have longer memories like myself, who can remember the Barrett confirmation hearings and the whole confirmation about stare decisis. This case is what those conversations were about, because they were basically trying to get her to go on record saying that when you're on the bench, when you're deciding on this case, are you going to uphold Roe v. Wade? Anywho, so this has been something that's been a long time coming. It's not something that just like popped up out of nowhere. This is a case that's been percolating for some time now. So now we have this decision out there where it does seem that the Supreme Court, at least according to this draft majority decision, is planning on overturning Roe v. Wade. So, yes. Um, not, I mean, it is and is not surprising. The only reason I find it not surprising is because it's, this day was always going to come, and I can go on a very long rant about how Congress kicking its its duties over to the judicial branch causes these issues, and now you have this situation where because you never codified anything into law, now it's a decision that can be overturned by the Supreme Court. Whether it will be or not, we do not know. There's a lot of questions about who leaked it and for what reasons. Quite frankly, I don't care. I care about what is actually in the decision. I don't really care about the motivations of why and who and who leaked it. I'm like, I'm, it's, to me, that's, I mean, it, it's nice to know. It'd be fun to know, like whatever, but it doesn't change the contents of what Alito wrote. And that's, that, that's like, okay, this is kind of a, a pretty momentous event it, that it looks like Roe v. Wade is going to be overturned. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and, and uh, again, unfortunately, this isn't something that I know too much about only from the people that I listen to. And uh, f from what I understand, the problem is that Roe v. Wade itself had like lead, had sort of a, a sort of a weak basis for its own justification. Some kind of uh, the whole emanations thing where the idea was like the spirit of the Constitution. There's like an aura of of constitutionality that extends to things that don't actually uh, that are not specifically mentioned in it, whatever. We, and again, we can get into, because I think, I, I think a, a thing that I've noticed in a lot of big Supreme Court uh, decisions 
is that they are about 50,000 times more procedural than the discourse about them tends to be. Because the discourse is always like, the Supreme Court rules that it's illegal to do this and that to gay people. And when in fact the decision is more like, it wasn't within the authority of this body to say this or that or whatever, like all kinds of crap like that. Like the, I think it was the the, the famous like bur, uh, burning a cross on a front lawn case where that went to the Supreme Court where the, 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 the reason that they ruled it, uh, like they struck it down was that instead of like prosecuting him for doing something on somebody else's property, they did it for like a civil rights violation or something like that. And if they had just like put him in prison for burning something, just a thing on somebody else's lawn, then he would, I would have been fine. And, but, but the, the decision is remembered as the Supreme court ruled that cross burning is the first amendment. But like, that's not what it was about. It was about like, the fact that – because then someone said like you, you can deduce that like, oh, it's constitutional for you to literally burn a cross on someone's lawn. No, but that was the only thing they went after that person for doing, not for like trespassing, not for – you know, not for the fact that you're just literally not allowed to burn shit on somebody else's property. But like they just skipped all over that and went like to civil rights and then so the Supreme Court was like, no, that in itself is not actually a crime. Yeah, and I think a lot of people kind of misunderstand what the Supreme Court does. Is it like they're not judging on the basis of criminal law or civil law? It's strictly constitutional law. It's the questions that go before the Supreme Court are: Is this constitutional or not? That's it. It's not. Uh, it's not a moral judgment. It's not a criminal judgment. It's not a civil judgment. It is that okay. Per the Constitution, can you do this thing? And so. There have been plenty, plenty over the past 40 some odd years, pieces, just segments, everything discussing the the decision on Roe v. Wade and how some people feel like there was a bit of motivated reasoning going on there. And there's been a lot of talk, especially lately, about how the national mood was towards abortion versus how the Supreme Court ruled and how public abortion is now viewed as far as how the Supreme Court's going to rule, but it's like you're not, like this is not the court of public opinion, quite literally. This is the court of, does the Constitution say you can do this thing? And so in Roe v. Wade, they ruled that per the 14th Amendment, per the Due Process Clause, per right to privacy, that yes, it's not even that, and, and again, to go to what you were saying, they didn't rule that women can have abortions. The ruling was that per the 14th Amendment and how they were interpreting it, no state had the right to rule one way or the other. A state did not have the right to ban it. A state did not have the right to permit it. And it was actually based off of the case was around a Texas law that sought to codify the right to have an abortion. And so their stance was that no, the state does not have standing to say one way or the other because the state has no standing to know what a woman is doing medically. Like, they, you do not have the right to know what is going on inside of a woman's body, basically. 
And that's also kind of the basis of rulings like Loving, which legalized interracial marriage, Ogrefell, which legalized same-sex marriage, is that the state does not get to have an opinion on this topic. And so you cannot make it illegal because then you are stepping into the realm of saying that the state has the right to know any of this in the first place. Like you don't have the right to know the race of somebody that you're wanting to marry or the sex of somebody that you're wanting to marry. It's none of the state's business. So there's a lot, there's a lot to this conversation and I'm going to try to not get too far into the weeds on my own personal opinions on this. I mean, my opinions on abortion are pretty well known. You can go find them on my Twitter if you really want to, but it's, When you're talking about Roe v. Wade, it's not strictly just about abortion rights. There's a lot that piggybacks off of that decision, but both a legal perspective and a cultural perspective that I think gets lost in this conversation. And there's a lot that goes into the conversation around abortion that gets lost when you focus solely on abortion rights, because it's like. For me, like I, I am pro-choice, but I am also very, very, very pro-pregnancy prevention. Like, okay, what, like, why are we still, why is this still happening? What, what's going on here? What, what do we need to find? What is the disconnect here? Why are women still having to make this decision? And a lot of this, there's, again, there's a lot of moving parts of that decision. There's a lot of moving parts of that conversation. And there's just a lot it's it's a big ball of stuff that you, like abortion is like way up here at like the tip of the iceberg. And then there's just like a ton of shit below that that has to get discussed that nobody wants to talk about. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, if when something like this comes along for, you know, the actual decision, the immediate consequence, if Congress doesn't do some kind of emergency thing, I don't know what. Uh, that uh, a bunch of states will effectively ban abortion, but then Mm -hmm. a bunch of other states will have like incredibly permissive abortion laws. Now you got all kinds of Republicans floating the idea of national bans and all kinds of bans on travel out of, you know, on out of state travel, because, you know, like in a way, like a, a, a quote unquote easy workaround to a situation in which a certain state bans abortion is to have some sort of way to facilitate the travel to another state. Then people say, yeah, but what about if it's a minor? And then, and, and, and then states will start to say like, well, we don't like the, that, that we don't like that. And so we're going to try to stop that. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it, it creates a kind of problem. It, it, it creates a, 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 a uh, kind of a tension between the idea of federalism, which is a, a good idea, and, and and even if you don't really think is a good idea, is still a f- sort of foundational mechanic to how the United States operates, um, and something that you ha- kind of have to take into account. You know, people hate the Electoral College, and they hate the Senate, and they don't, it, it's hard for them to understand, like friends of mine who are not American, uh, and even me, who uh, I'm not American technically, it took me a while to understand uh, 
that it, it's very hard to look at the United States from a like not from a bird's eye view and understand that like in certain states oh, they rely on certain things like Mansion. Take the take the the the, the this like uh, Joe Mansion is like a lightning rod, right? And his mm-hmm. state, West Virginia, uh, which relies on like fossil fuels, like its economy is reliant on fossil fuels, or like other states that are tobacco growing states that rely on like, you know, they rely on the sales of tobacco. And so the, the there is inordinately large harm to their economies for certain national policies. And that's hard for people who come from like a country that isn't federalized like ours to see. Um, and so, yeah, there is this sort of, there is this kind of problem that you got to find a balance though. You got to, cause obviously you don't want to like have a, again, you don't want to have a, a civil war era situation where one state would be like, well, we want to do a slavery now, right? Because federalism, because I, I still hear that, but like civil war, I guess you would call it a civil confederacy apologists. I don't know what you want to mm-hmm. call it, but there is still some of that, like, you know, it was about states' rights, Right. Yeah, the state's right to do what exactly? You want to finish that sentence? <laughs> yeah, I can't remember what battle it was, but like the Confederacy lost a big battle. And like mm-hmm. Jefferson Davis was like, we're going to do a day of mourning. And one of the states was like, you don't tell us what to do. We're going to do a day of mourning on another day. This is real. This I can't remember. I wish mm-hmm. I remembered the specific details. But like that's there was some there was this sort of commitment to it, radical federalism to the point where they were like, no, we're not doing a thing altogether. Fuck that. We're our own state. No, and it's like there is a bit of contrarianism that goes into that too, but it's like to me, this is a bodily autonomy issue, and it's kind of I, I mean, I guess in a way you can liken this to states legalizing weed. I mean, obviously, this is a much deeper issue because you're also talking about what like I could possibly be conscripted to carry inside me for nine months. And that's a little more important than whether I can go to a dispensary and buy weed. But there is that kind of dichotomy like, okay, certain people who live in certain states, you have the legal right to do this thing, but certain people in certain states, you don't have the legal right to do that thing. And it creates this weird sort of tension. And I, and I kind of wonder especially on a federal level, because like you said, there are people in the GOP kind of floating the idea of doing a federal abortion ban. I'm like, okay, but then what if a state decided like, okay, we're not going along with that. We're going to allow abortion in our states. And then it's a situation where you have to kind of decide like, okay, I'm doing something that's legal in my state, but illegal federally. And then that creates a whole different system. And it's like, it just, Obviously, for many, many reasons, the whole idea of a state, the state, any state becoming overly concerned about the contents of my uterus makes me extremely uncomfortable. And I do not like that. And I wish everybody would mind their own fucking business. And I tend to take the LP line on this, that all all sides can have good faith disagreements with each other. And therefore, the state should not be involved in this at all. And it should be a private decision between a woman and her doctor and whoever else she wants to make that decision between. Well, you know, the tragic thing to me about uh, the abortion discourse uh, in this country is that I feel like there's a really like there's a liberal core 
to the pro-life argument and a conservative core to the pro-choice argument that there is sort of a willful effort to ignore, meaning like a lot of pro-choice people see the pro-life people as wanting to punish women and wanting to be sort of theocratic about it and not like it comes from a, like a compassionate place and a place of wanting to protect young, uh, helpless life. And on the reverse angle, a lot of pro-life people think that pro-choice people are just about promiscuity and the lack of responsibility and consequence as opposed to, like you said, the government staying out of your literal body yeah. and, and, the, and the, the prospective horror of something like a forced birth. I mean, I said, again, I'm not going to say that the pro-life people are all like this, but I, I really did like, I was kind of shocked. There were a lot of things that I was shocked to discover when I came here, how strongly people felt. America, I feel like is the country that both both loves and hates things the most. It's the country that loves guns the most, but also hates them the most. It's the country that loves abortions the most, but also hates them the most. There's all, I, I keep running into small things like that, where I'm like, Americans are, and so, and another one was like, the sort of the the sort of the atheism religion dichotomy like i like i the most passionate atheists here but also like the most passionate ath hatred of atheism that i've seen like i didn't even know that it was a thing until i came here but um but uh yeah this sort of I feel like there is, there, you know, there's a theoretical kind of common ground that people are trying very hard to not find. Uh, and it, it obviously makes it impossible. Yeah, there's a lot of motivated reasoning, too, for people to not find that common ground because both sides, both Democrats and Republicans have used this as a wedge issue for fundraising for so long. And, and so many people have made this joke online on Twitter since Sunday, but that basically like both sides just caught the car. Like the, 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 like they're the dogs and they finally both just caught the car. Like Republicans are now faced with this idea that, okay, Roe v. Wade might actually be disappearing and Democrats have to deal with this. Oh my God, Roe v. Wade might be disappearing. So now, especially with the Democratic majorities in Congress, now the pressure's on them. Like, okay, what do you want to do? Yeah, it's hard. Like, it's, it's hard because, uh, you know, like young people, like the, you don't understand, 50 years. This is a 50-year legal battle. Like my, my mom's generation, like my, is, is the generation like that had their youth kind of shaped by the Roe v. Wade decision. I think my mom was like 14 or 15 when Roe v. Wade happened. And so like, and yeah, so it, it's, it, and so like you said, that's a really good, uh, that's a really good way to put it. They caught the car because it's been such a chased after issue. Now it's not going to go away, obviously. But no. now it's become, like you said, now it's become a fight over uh, the new phase of it. You know, like now that now that they caught the car, it's going to be fighting over like who, which which of the passengers to eat first or or whatever. Um, oh, by the way, uh, JD in chat says it was Georgia that disagreed with Jefferson Davis. So give yourself a hand, Jen, for <laughs> representing the Peach State or whatever it's called. Uh, yeah, our, our messy ass state. 
<laughs> so yeah, because they they were like, no, thank you. We're gonna do our own day of mourning. What battle was it though, JD? Was it like uh, Gettysburg? I don't know. I my I'm gonna embarrass myself further because I also think what I said about the case about the cross burning was a little bit incorrect. I think it, but it, it, I think it's still. It, the idea was that like the case was way more procedural than what it is remembered as. There are implications that are like First Amendment style implications, but it is more about stuff like is cro can cross burning be seen as an inherently intimidating act or is there a circumstance in which you can burn a cross in a scenario where you're not actually intimidating anyone? So like if you do it in your own house and your house is in the middle of the woods and there's nobody there to see it except for like, you know, you and the other KKK people that you invited to your soiree, yeah. <laughs> to, your, to your shindig or whatever, is that like can the cops come and say like you're intimidating, this is racial intimidation? That's an interesting question, by the way, like an interesting sort of free speech question because yeah, clearly you can't just like – do it like if you live next door to like a black family and you like put a cross on your lawn and burn it. You can't be like, oh, I wasn't intimidating him. I was just doing it for like Christmas, right? Like it's hard to argue that there was there was zero intimidation intent in the fact that you were doing that. But that's an interesting, again, exploration of the limits of the First Amendment. Um, but yeah, it does hinge on that, on that kind of like the, the small minutia of legal distinctions, which is... I, I guess this, the idea that like it's about like what on on the the basis of what law did Roe v. Wade hinge and whether or not that's constitutionally sound or not. And a lot's been made of, especially Alito's decision here, or at least his writings here. I won't say it's just his decision because it's a majority decision of the use of quote unquote historical precedents to try to determine what should and should not be legal today. And what's funny is that he seems to have gone back to like 18th century English common law, which is a super, super bad example for proportion because it's always been, even in like, even as far as like the Catholic church is concerned, um, a baby wasn't really considered like a baby, like a, like a fully like, realized human person until quickening, which is when That's a woman a can actually like, Sorry. yeah, like when they consider like a, like a, a reference. It's, it's a real boy, <laughs> but, but until like quickening, which is when a woman can actually feel a baby moving in her womb, which is typically around 20 weeks, which is not all that far off from what we have right now. But it's like, if you're trying to cite historical precedent for limiting a, it's what it like. Even like you know, as as like Baroque and Victorian, and like arcane as that sounds, yes. they still use that word. That's hilarious. It, also, in the movie Highlander, there's that's what they call when because the movie Highlander is about a bunch of like immortal beings who have to hunt each other and like. Uh, decapitate each yeah. other and then they get powered up and it's called the quicken it's called the quickening <laughs> so when you said that i got this image of christopher lambert fucking chopping somebody's head off and, and getting a power up 
<laughs> Which is not the image you want to have in your head in this conversation. No, definitely, definitely, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's still verbiage that they use today. And so it's like, if you want to go back through the history of abortion and what was considered legally slash socially permissible, it was actually, back in the day, actually much more legally and socially permissible than it is now. I mean, obviously, like I said, the cap under Planned Parenthood v. Casey is 24 weeks. So, it, again, it, it still was kind of hinging on that same idea of, like, viability, basically. And when, like, okay, when could a child actually exist outside the womb relatively by itself? I mean, obviously, like... If you had a child at 24 weeks, it'd have to go into NICU and it'd have to be in like an incubator and stuff like that. But it's theoretically possible for that child to survive at that point. Whereas before then, it's kind of like, I mean, with modern medicine, like, yes, it could happen, but it's not something that's like super duper common. And typically the baby will die if it's outside of the womb before then. Yeah, there's not like it's it's life, you know, like I, I tried to compare it to like. What is the precise moment if you get wound, if you have like a wound, if you scrape your elbow, if you get a cut or whatever, what is the precise moment that it goes from being not healed to healed? There is no exact moment, right? I guess in theory, it's like the moment where the final molecule gets stitched together or whatever. But like the, the point is like there is no exact moment because life isn't precise on that level. Uh, and so you have to set some kind of thing. We we spoke about this. I brought this up to you, and I I find this idea. I find sort of the thinking about this fascinating, and about uh, uh, about like uh, the future. Thinking about the future and what future technology, what kind of implications it might have about like for example, like a womb tanks, like the idea of like using a. Uh, using something that's akin to a, like a laparoscopic procedure to remove like a fetus from you and put it in a, in a matrix style womb tank that'll grow it into being a human, like, and, and to, and to see how, like to ask people like how that would affect their sort of, you know, like moral view of abortion or the limits that they think abortion should have, like, will that change their view? It's just sort of fascinating for me to think not, I'm not trying to hunt down somebody's like uh, hypocrisy. I'm like legit curious. Cause like, I think about that, about stuff like trans uh, people too, like the trans debate, like imagine being able to like clone a body for yourself. That is you in every sense, except it has the chromosome flipped and it's like a female body and so it would be grown to have like, for me, like a feet, the female physiology mm-hmm. or whatever. And then they just take my brain and put it in the brain of that body, bada bing, bada boom or whatever. That that would yeah. solve a, like a ton of like it would it would solve a big problem. It would first of first and foremost, it would solve the dysphoria that people like that feel, which is like great in itself, but also like it would solve like the, a lot of the societal baggage that comes with the fact that we can't just do that. Right. Um, so I don't know. I'm just fascinated with that stuff in general. Yeah. And remind me, put a pin in this. I need to introduce you to Walter Block's work on abortion and evictionism because it's basically that same concept. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
for anybody who thinks that the topic of abortion is a monolith and libertarianism, it is not. <laughs> but yeah, Walter Block actually talks a lot about that idea of one day in the future, if it could be a situation where a woman could carry a child for maybe three months and then you put it in a womb tank and then there you go. Everybody, it's kind of no harm, no foul. Like, as long as you can, like, I, I don't want to say get rid of the child because that sounds rude and wrong, but have the child removed from your body by like the end of the first trimester and then put into this womb tank and stuff like that. But yeah, this is a discussion that's gone on a long time in libertarian circles as to like, okay, how do you square this circle? Because it is like a genuinely philosophical argument within libertarianism. And I'm like, this is one of the few areas where oddly enough, we can actually have like civil disagreements with each other, which is, extremely rare in the movements but it comes from a space of like understanding that everybody has like it's a philosophical discussion and that again everybody has a good faith argument for why they're being pro-choice or pro-life yeah and you can i mean you just go read a bunch of like reason people from reason tweeting or whatever they have they they have a bunch of people on both sides of this uh, issue and 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 there's and there's even more to it than that. Again, I think that the median American, the median voter, uh, it has a, a like there is a there's a big chunk in the middle that is like first trimester, sure, yeah, second trimester in certain uh, circumstances, third trimester, no, no. Uh, uh, but, right. Unless like it's literally like the mom's about to die unless unless it's you know unless it's done it's one of those like emer total emergency situations but um uh but the 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 the, the fight is dominated by the extreme by the extremes of it um and and a lot of so and and on one side you have people who it is it's easy for them to say. According to my belief system, life begins at conception, and that's an easy—that's an easy line for me to draw, right? Super simple, and everything beyond that to me is bad, right? The people on the other side, though, find themselves in a bit of a bind because they—they're because there's a—it's it, like a—it's more of like a big tent, like the the pro-choice. Mm -hmm movement it's hard for like a politician or an activist to to kind of equivocate where they stand to not uh kind of soften their thing and i saw this happen today there i think uh i think tim ryan or something like that was like refused to say on tv like if he supported any kind of restrictions on abortion i ask some people sometimes like so wait where do you stand on this and they always dodge by saying something like, the point is that it should be up to a woman. And, and I say like, I, okay, fine. I don't, I mean, I don't even disagree, but, but like, tell me what you, you're allowed to, that you're allowed to have an opinion on when life begins. You know what I mean? Like, cause, cause I also, I, and I think in American discourse, there's a niche for this that, that is almost non-existent. It's the idea that I decouple 
uh, morality from legality. There's plenty of things that I find repugnant that I don't think should be illegal merely because I find them repugnant. And if in my life, I would really not want someone in a life situation that I am in to have an abortion, for example, I'm saying in theory, like let's say that I myself was fiercely pro-life. That doesn't mean that I uh, that like that I that I think that the this like that it's how am I going to explain this the practice it's there's almost a practicality issue here again to me the idea of like strapping because you say to somebody what do you want to strap a woman down and have her carry her baby determined someone says yes yes why yes I do actually and so you're like okay fine but that's like I that like that to me is worse. Uh, even if I'm fiercely pro-life, like that it, that image to me is worse. And so I will almost have to like swallow it and live with the existence of that, like the lesser evil. And I think a lot of that gets lost too when in like the philosophical debate about abortion is the actual like practicalities of being pregnant and carrying a child to term, and. This also goes into like a whole long rant that I can go into about how as a society, we don't really discuss certain things about being a woman or women's bodies and stuff like that. But there's like this idea that's like, oh, you just be pregnant and then you have a baby and blah, 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 blah. Like, no, you don't understand. You're basically altering your life for nine months and you do not get your pre-pregnancy body back. Like that's not, and I don't mean that just solely in like a physical narcissistic look sort of way. Like your body physically changes in ways that does not revert back after you are no longer pregnant. And I, and I think that like the lack of discussion about pregnancy and what actually happens in pregnancy in our society kind of gives people this idea that it's just like, oh, you just be pregnant and then you just have a kid. I'm like, no, no, no. There's a lot that goes into that. And when you're saying that, okay, women should just have to carry babies to term, I'm like, do you understand what it is that you are asking? And then even beyond that, like, okay, all right, we're going to make women have all these babies. I'm like, okay, what happens after the baby's here? Are you like pitching in for some pampers here? Like, is are we... Are we expanding maternity leave? Are, are we doing child tax credits? Are we, are we doing anything to kind of foster a system where these women are going to have the support that they need in order to take care of these children that you just made them have against their own will? And it's like, it's, there's, there's, again, there's a lot. And, there's, and, it, and it also touches on the whole idea of unwanted pregnancies in the first place. And like, why is this still happening? Like, it's, it's 2022. You can get the Walmart brand version of Plan B for like $11 and change at walmart.com. If you people did not know that, you can do that. You should probably just have some doses on deck. Yeah, don't, you know, but, uh, but don't, like don't, don't, uh, don't take horse tums or whatever a fucking. Oh, God, no. Fight. What magazine was that? Oh, Motherboard, which is oh, hard to yeah. yeah, okay. But. But yes, no, don't, don't try to like, like home kitchen sink your own at home abortion. Again, people, it's right there on walmart.com. But again, people don't know about that. And people are always shocked when I tell people like, you know, you can just get like the Walmart version of plan B for like super cheap or even like, 
even plan B itself, like if you want to get like the name brand plan B, it's like 40 bucks a dose. Like the people who will be most affected by this are the people you don't hear complete. The yeah. people who are like scared and protesting in DC and in New York, they're not going to feel this at all. People who are going to feel this is like 17 year old girls in like Mississippi and Texas who also happen to live like 1500 miles from the nearest state line. That's yeah. who's going to, that's who's going to be like the primary uh, victim of this, at least like in the immediate term. Right. Um, but, uh, but the, the problem is, and this again, is something that I really try to be as sympathetic as I can to, I try to like, especially people I know who are pro-life, I try to, to, to be as understanding as I can to their, to when, when they say to me, this, this, this to us is like the murder of babies. And it's like, and I don't, cause, cause it's very convenient to say, oh, they just say that. Oh, they just say that or whatever. It's like, have you ever met someone who's pro-life in your life? Like for real? Cause like they don't, they don't just, they're not just saying that they're not just making it up. I know plenty of pro-life people and that's fucking a ridiculous thing to say. It's to just dismiss their pro-life by saying like, it's just an excuse. It's like, no, it isn't like, just talk to someone ever. Yeah. And then that's why I bring up like the, the argument within libertarianism is because it is like a genuine philosophical divide between people who, I, and, and I, I'm not even say that people disagree on these topics, although they kind of do, but it's like that dichotomy, like, okay, bodily autonomy or the non-aggression principle. Like, okay, technically, if you believe in the non-aggression principle, then abortion is wrong because you're aggressing against another human being. But you're also violating somebody's bodily autonomy by forcing them to have another human being inside them that they do not wish to have inside them. So it's a genuine, like, philosophical debate, and there's no good answer to the debate. And that I think that's something that, writ large, with the debate on abortion, needs to be understood. Like, there is no perfect answer. There's going to be a good enough answer. There's going to have to be an answer that everybody can live with. Not that everybody is like super stoked about or 100% conforms to their beliefs. I go, I go further. I, I go further and say that there will be a bunch of people who are very mad at even the best of solutions, like a solution, well, yeah. that, right? That is, I'm saying a solution that will be acceptable to like the 80% of people who are like the median will probably mm. be very upsetting to some people on both ends of it. Um, and you know, it, it, like you said, it, it kind of reminds me of what I say about COVID, like COVID is only ever gonna be over enough, right? And so, yeah, like a solution to a solution going to go yeah. to like abortion law will ever only be good enough for enough people like, right. Good enough for a large enough group, uh, amount of people to be like, to be, to somehow like remain a status quo. Right. And if you can get to good enough for 80% of people, then at some point you have to tell the other 20% to fuck off. Like, I mean, you, you can't cater to the 20%. Yeah. So I, I, what I think will happen, again, is I think this is kicking the can in a way 
towards, I, I mean, I hate to say this, but like another, like a, a kind of a, you know, like a, a, a kind of a, what you call it, like a fugitive slave act type situation. And again, I don't want to make those comparisons, but I'm just saying like a situation in which like uh, some states have something that's fiercely illegal and other states have it very legal and the illegal states want their, the people who live there to have to like, uh, to have to like abide by the laws of the state, even if they leave state lines, you know, that kind of situation, right? And so I think like, let's say for instance, like Roe gets uh, repealed and there is no like federal legislation that walks around it. Let's just say that happens. And so then I think 13 states will effectively have abortion illegal in them now. Yeah. And I think 20, 20 states will have them fully legal and super open and whatever. And the rest like haven't decided yet. So let's say they all decide, which was what they were going to do before Roe v. Wade happened anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, and then there'll be some kind of equilibrium for a little bit. Right. Because there's probably not going to be masses of forced pregnancies for the most. There's going to be stories here and there. But for the most part, things are going to kind of remain in a kind of status quo. But then again, like the, the, the little hints of like, OK, maybe now we can do a national ban or maybe now we can illegalize traveling across state lines to get an abortion, which is the kind of the thing that I just mentioned. And mm -hmm. then what will happen, like things can like boil over into another kind of Supreme Court case about something related to that, about whether or not a state can do a thing like, so we, we are in a way kind of kicking the can to a future fight about something kind of worse, I guess, or not worse, but like more abstract than specifically abortion, but it'll be about yeah, it'll be probably, like I said, I, here's, you want to write this down? It's going to happen in fucking 15 years. <laughs> There'll be some kind of Supreme Court fight about, yeah, about a state's right to like illegalize the act of traveling across state lines to get an abortion. Something like that is my prediction. And I can actually see that happening considering that we already have laws on the books about crossing state lines to perform certain acts. Like, obviously, you can't cross state lines to, like, if, if you're a minor, you can't cross state lines to have sex with somebody. Yeah, you it, the man, it's called to, like, the Man Act. But it's like, yeah. it's like <laughs> M-A-N-N. -N. It's not, it's a very unfortunately named court case, I guess. The Man Act. Yeah, and you can't, as a woman, you can't really cross state lines to, like, like have sex for money. You can't probably to prostitute yourself because then that becomes part of the commerce clause and it becomes a whole like thing and it's like but I can definitely see a case where somebody would a state could try under those existing laws to say that okay you as a woman cannot cross state lines to go have an abortion. Yeah. And then somebody bring that to the Supreme Court by saying like, okay, well you're telling me that I can't leave this state to go do a thing that I want to do that is legal in this other state. Like Again, like it would be like, again, to kind of like bring it back to marijuana legalization, be like if Georgia tried to imprison me for going to Colorado to go buy weed 
And then, like, and then tell me, like, okay, you can't do that because it's illegal here. So like, in so in D.C., before D.C. legalized weed, a way that people would buy it here was that you were allowed to, like, give it to somebody, but you couldn't exchange mm-hmm. money. So you would people would sell you something else and then yeah. give it to you as, like, a gift. So that's what they'll do. They'll be like, <laughs> come buy a... Come buy a little thing and then, oh, would you like a free abortion with your cookies <laughs> or whatever? With your, you go buy, you go buy like a, a, a 12, like a, a dozen donuts or whatever. And the person yeah. there is like, oh, would you like a free abortion? And then, so then you didn't travel for this specific purposes of getting an abortion like some weird i'm saying like it'll probably be a thing like that i mean we're like i'm I'm laughing but like it'll probably come down to some kind of weird case like that because i see already all kinds of people getting ready for a thing like that like oh let's get uh (laughs) underground railroads of stuff like I mean that's the kind of rhetoric that people use obviously on Twitter or whatever. Let's go to some callers because we've already ran run long without taking any callers, so okay. we can take the next caller. I'm just I, I'm I'm not saying like I I made the mistake of like throw into the caller too quick and then they're like oh shit I gotta be it well what am I doing so we're gonna go to Robert right now. Uh, hey Robert, how's it going? Hey. Uh, Robert? Your mic's still muted. Yep. You gotta click the little mic thing in the bottom of your phone screen. No? Nothing? Okay, we can go to JD then. Uh, JD, how's it going? Hey guys, what's up? All right, how are you? Doing well. Um, yeah, so Neon, I had a question for you. Oh, okay. Oh, look at look at the chat. This is great. Because by the way, like if you listen to these back on Colin, you can see all of these chat messages. So JD's basically <laughs> he's like doing our, our essentially our show notes. It's full of like useful <laughs> links that that actually sync they actually sync with the episode i believe so like they'll pop up as you're watching it's kind of cool i like that that you can do that yeah it retains the format of the show in the the vod's it's cool Mm -hmm. i like it no yeah sorry about that i'm i'm a high school history teacher so i kind of know this stuff wow awesome see there you go Okay, yeah, so about that, Neon, you mentioned that you're not super well-informed on all of this stuff, or, I mean, you're kind of informed on it. You're not all-knowing like Jen is. <laughs> <laughs> but um, let's see, do you do you follow the Dispatch at all on Twitter? I know you're friends with, like, Jonah Goldberg and, like, David French. I mean, friends-ish, I guess. I mean, I don't follow their specific account, I think, like the, the Dispatch's actual account. Uh huh. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I follow the Dispatch on Twitter either. I just follow their personal accounts. But um, their Substack is really good. They've got a bunch of podcasts that they do that I listen to on my commute, along with you know your guys's. Oh, that's but, good. I need. I need some. I. I wanna. I wanna listen to some more of these like dailies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they they do like a weekly podcast where like Jonah and David and all of them will get together. And they were talking about this, and so 
you and Jen had brought this up that there are states that have laws on the books already regarding what they would do in case Roe was overturned. And mm-hmm. there's like 15 states that have trigger laws that would immediately outlaw it within their boundaries. Like I think Missouri is one of them. And then you have like 15 other states like California that would immediately legalize it. And with California, I put this in the chat, uh, they claim that they would become a sanctuary state for abortions and they would pay for out-of-state people to come in to have an abortion if they wanted one. Like if they lived in Missouri and it's outlawed, then California would pay for the woman to go to California to have the abortion. Yeah, and I, 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 was, I had no doubt that something like that would happen. Um, but, and it's gonna, it's gonna, that's, that's gonna be the thing that ends up in the Supreme Court, some kind of interstate fight where they're going to retaliate. And then the state's going to be like, we're not going to send you electricity anymore. And that state's going to be like, we're going to block off. I don't know what. So that's, that's going to be the fight, I I guess. And that's going to kind of be like the funny flip side to the federalism argument is that those people who are pro-life who want to ban abortion are like, okay, well, it's a state's right to do that. I'm like, okay, well, it would also be a state's right to do what California is doing and become a sanctuary state. And if they so choose to pay the freight of anybody who wants to come to the state and have an abortion, like there is always a flip side to that federalism argument that I think a lot of people forget about. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Go ahead, J.D. Well, yeah, and it's kind of interesting because you guys have brought up the slavery analogy a lot, which, I mean, you could kind of compare it. Not really. I don't know. But yeah, I'm trying to not like I'm I was only like, I was only using it as like a really extreme example where some states had a thing and the other states didn't have that thing. That's it's hard. You know, like it's difficult. Like uh, like we did on the who on the on uh, ambitious crossover attempt with the Schindler's List thing with the goodbye <laughs> Jews. And I was like, I'm not seriously. I'm not. I swear I'm not comparing this to the Holocaust. I just had like a mental image of a thing. And it's it's very hard. Like Twitter is conditioned you to be like, no, please, please don't take this out of context. I think Alito <laughs> literally did it in his decision. I think he literally wrote something like, please don't try to overturn Obergefell using this. Like he specifically mentioned it. Like, don't, nobody named this in your president. I don't want any part of that shit. Note, editor's note. Keep me out of that gay marriage thing. I don't, don't use me as your excuse to end gay marriage. Thank keep, you. Keep, keep my name out of your mouth. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Got, got to get in that Will Smith moment in every episode, right? Oh guys? my God, we're oh, talking about yeah, it. Okay. Will Smith moment. We had yes, to man. do it because there literally was. I mean, it was kind yes, of man. a meta, it was a meta Will Smith moment because Dave Chappelle Dave Chappelle got attacked at the Hollywood Bowl. Someone with a knife like jumped on Dave Chappelle and got his ass beat by security and they broke his arm really in a really ugly way. Yeah. But then like but then Chris Rock who was there grabbed the mic and went like, was that Will Smith? Which got this like a gigantic, like uproarious laugh, which it should have, obviously. But like uh, but yeah, like, I mean, it brought up the whole discourse of, cause you know, when the Will Smith thing happened, they said like, this is comedians got mad and said like, we're now tar, you know, we're acceptable targets. And a lot of people said, oh, shut up you babies or whatever. But I then know. something, well, yeah. Then, yeah, exactly. So oof, not, not great. I mean, the 
he was fine, but uh, but yeah, Will Smith, Will Smith moment. <laughs> <laughs> no, so kind of, kind of going back to what we were talking about about crossing state lines and then the court like banning that or whatever. So in the Constitution, Congress does have the power to write like under the Commerce Clause, which thanks to the Fourteenth Amendment, the Commerce Clause mm-hmm. applies to everything now. But yes. But under the Commerce Clause, Congress can regulate interstate commerce, so they can regulate trade between, like, Georgia and South Carolina, but you can't Mm -hmm. regulate trade within Georgia. However, during, you know, the antebellum period prior to the Civil War, they could have banned the interstate slave trade going on in the South because states like Virginia and Maryland that had excess slaves they were trying to export them, and then they became the main feeder states for, like, Mississippi, Alabama, etc. So Congress technically could have banned it. However, even though the Republican, well, not the Republicans, but the Whigs wanted to, they knew that if they did it, it would probably trigger secession, so they didn't touch it. And so, like, if, you know, abortion gets... You know, Roe v. Wade gets overturned, and then you have individual states start banning abortion pretty much completely. If everyone were to try to flee to California, yes, it could happen where Congress or the court tries to, you know, ban it. But then maybe that's like, you know, Congress trying to ban the slave trade. Like, if we do this, like, yeah, it could be good. We'd get political points. But then, you know, states would start seceding and then Civil War 2.0, and we don't want that. Yeah. Or or what happens if, like... States just ignore it, ignore the order. And so you get like what, what, like that's like a, like a constitutional crisis or whatever. Cause what are you going to do? Send the feds to like shoot it out with like state police. I don't know. That's your, and, and, and that, that absolutely should. And by the way, that is also uh, uh, like a consideration in the abortion thing. Like the practicality of what, like, what do you have to do? in order to enforce a certain law. And if the thing you have to do is in itself monstrous monstrous and impossible, then sometimes you have to live with like the existing monstrous and impossible thing. Like for example, gun confiscation. Like you can't, even if you can make a perfectly moral argument to go door to door and confiscate everybody's guns, how the hell are you ever gonna actually do that? Never. You're never gonna, you're gonna end up with lots of dead people, first of all, and be like, it's, it would be like a gigantic effort that would be ugly and awful and like imp- totally impractical. And so you're like, that's not, we're not even gonna do something like that. That's like a ridiculous thing to even propose. And so if somebody says like, oh, we should, we should literally take everybody's guns. Again, something I hear from like non-Americans. They're just like, well, yeah, why not? And he's like, you don't understand. You don't understand yeah. how big this country is and how different the different types of places that people here live. And like, it's just, it's really hard. Again, I still don't. I, I've been living here for like a over, you know, like almost 15 years at this point. And I still have huge holes in my understanding of like how varied this country is and how like differing the lifestyles are of people who live technically in the same country. I mean, the first time I was out in like the LA area proper, I was like, this feels like I'm abroad. This feels like a trip to another country. Like everybody speaks Spanish here. Everything is built differently. It felt, I said like it felt as different as a place can feel while still being like the same country. 
Yeah, and it's actually funny. Remember the time that I actually tried to explain to you, like, how guns work down here in the South and how gun culture is and how, like, obviously, I mean, I live here in Atlanta. I live alone. I'm a woman. I have weapons in my house, and it's, like, considered totally normal. Like, my family would lose their shit if I lived alone without a gun. And that, like, how that's completely foreign in other parts of the country. But here it's just like, well, of course you do, like, Duh, this is part of, like, what you need to do to protect yourself. Yeah, there but, you yeah. go. And uh, so, uh, J.D., any uh, closing uh, closing remarks? Because we're, we're about to close out this episode. Well, yeah, so um, kind of going off of what you said, like, if, you know, abortion gets banned, like, how does the federal government, like, enforce it or whatever like that? Um, I put in the chat, there's a historian at the University of Texas. His name is H.W. Brands. He started a, st- a substack last year. And he just does all these essays on random, you know, topics in American history. And so he was talking about the hypothetical of, like, what if Roe gets overturned and then, like, California and then Oregon and Washington want to secede so we just lose the West Coast. And he said, like, how would we stop them from leaving? And, like, would people want to stop them? Because there's, you know, a ton of animosity, but at the same time, there's a good deal of Republican states that would be like, do we really want to die to try to preserve the country over abortion? Like, why don't we just let them go? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know. Like, I when it, whenever I, I hear, like, uh, people who are uh, in this field, they always totally dismiss any talk like this. Like, pfft, never, ever, right? But again, we're talking about a 50-year legal battle, which is a a not insignificant chunk of this entire country's existence, if you want to think about it like that. Uh, and so, yeah, there could be th- consequences here that are on a scale that, you know, people of a certain age like us, like not, not, bo- not literal boomers, not forget the meme boomers. <laughs> I'm saying like literal people who are from the baby boomer generation. Like, don't know this is the reality that we were all born into. I mean, years into. Like, Roe v. was like years before either of us were, were born. Yeah. Um, and we're getting up there. <laughs> I don't want to be rude about you. Like, I'm just saying about me. Were you thinking about trying to call me old? Well, I was saying like because I because I went with the we. I felt like I felt like okay, I'm, I might get away with this because like, what am I gonna say? I don't know. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess uh, I guess that's about it uh, on this uh, controversial topic. We failed, by the way. We failed to to, to not discuss the thing. We kind of we kind of danced. It was like uh, we we kind of like it was like we were circling a drain. We kind of went around and around it, and then it was like ah, fuck it, yeah. into the into the sewer. Uh, but yeah, I, we can like yeah. Anyway, I hope we I hope we didn't say anything too crazy again i like i said i have very sort of complicated views on this and i have a lot of like i have a lot of sympathy to both sides of the argument which makes this just a really upset it's really upsetting for me to watch people just fight toxically about it uh yeah and on that dark note jen (laughs) where can where can people find all of our things okay well obviously you know where to find all crossed out because you're here Um, to find us on our main pod Ambitious Crossover you go on 
Google Podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Amazon slash Audible, pretty much every podcaster you could possibly think of at this point. And I've also been informed that you can find this show on all the podcasters too. So there you go. There's that. And you can find me on that gentleman at that Jen Monroe at Twitter. I can't talk anymore. I've been talking all damn day. <laughs> you can find me on Substack at jenmonroe.substack.com. Yay, and I am Neon Taster on Twitter and also YouTube.com slash C slash Neon Taster and Twitch.tv slash Neon Taster. Uh, and yeah, that's it. Thanks a lot. Uh, we will see you on Sunday. We were going to talk about schedules, but schedules are never mind. Forget it. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Uh, we love this. We'll talk to you next time. Good night. Bye, Jen. Bye, Noam. Bye, everybody. Thank you.